this episode of Game Life Balance US is going to be a landmark episode because I'm announcing that I am I've received a job offer and I have to accept this job offer, which will not allow me to continue Game Life Balance US, nor will it allow me to continue my day job as a social media expert. Is this due to uh, is this due to conflict of interest laws? It is conflict of interest laws. Yes, I have accepted a position as the new director of the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. That's inc- that's incredible. I hear that position. I hear that position is open. It has been vacated. And I am legally obliged to change my name to FBI Director James Cody, spelled C-O-D-E-Y. It's a prerequisite of the job that your last name rhymes with homie. This dates back to when Tupac and Biggie Smalls used to East Coast, West Coast represent, yo, back in the, I believe, early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. That checks out. Yeah, and and there was something to it was there was something to do there was something something to do there was something to do there's there's something there was something there was something, there was something to do there was something to do there's something to do with 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 gangsta rap it was spelled with an A and I, I the rest is the rest is is hazy but anyway so this will be the last uh, episode of Game Life Balance US until next week's episode that we record. At some point in the future, which could be two weeks, it could be three. I don't know. It's been a while since we've actually done an episode. Wouldn't, 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 wouldn't. I can only assume that you're going to be available next week to do another episode because you are going to get fired from your new position. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, a lifestyle podcast about how to be a grown-up gamer and still go to work and get sleep. With your hosts, Cody Goff, and Jonathan Martin. You're going to be my meat in my Jonathan sandwich. Check out our website at gamelifebalance.us, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and more. I'm Ryan Dombrowski. I'm the Ninja Fat Man from Doom Ninja Podcast, a podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Jonathan Martin, my co-host of this podcast. I'm Cody Goff. Thanks for putting up with that long intro. So right before we started recording, it's funny to me because I said to John, hey, let me start the episode because I want to make it sound really professional this week. How'd I do? I think you really knocked it out of the park. That was probably the most professional intro that... I mean, we talked about what's more professional than the director of the FBI position that you were just offered. Nothing. That is about the most professional... I mean, short of president of the United States, I think it goes in that order. You're you're either president of the United States and then the rung directly beneath them Mm -hmm. was probably vice president. But but directly beneath that is probably director of the FBI, Cody. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really it's right there. Where does the secretary of education fall? Because that that from what I've seen on the sci-fi network will be our next president. It's a really long ladder. Um, I don't know if. If um, you watch 24, I don't know if you saw Jack Bauer's new show, but Jack Bauer came out with a new show. I want to say it was last year called Designated Survivor. And basically all of the most important. So you, the ladder, we're talking about the ladder. You, you got the president, mm-hmm. you got the vice president. And, and you know, this is a long ladder. It's like 50 rungs. And each each rung is a person. Right. And the next the FBI director is on one of the shoots. The next person down the ladder is like the next in line to be president. Well, you're supposed to get all of the people on the ladder in one group um, at least six times a year to make it as convenient as possible to wipe out everybody on the ladder. Mm-hmm. And if you're then a the, Cylon, anyway. Right, if you're a Cylon. And then the designated survivor, Jack Bauer, takes over. Um, and then Jack Bauer saves the United States from, I was going to say Russian terrorists, but... It really, it could be anybody from more shoots, right? Right. So that from, you can continue to climb the ladders. So that you can right, and then that Jack Bauer becomes the president of the United States of America. Okay. Well, and, we've, I, we've, and I pledge allegiance to the flag 
of, of <laughs> I can't the yeah. responsible and loving person, self-respecting, yeah, responsible so th- for my own behavior. Yeah, I'm going to do our entire middle school anthem. You, you really don't need to. So, yeah, it's been a very professional opening, and I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, from the large uh, area of the internet, everybody, thank you for finding your way here. If you can't tell, we are a lifestyle podcast. Generally, we talk about lots of different stuff with a slight, fo- a slight, a slight focus on video games. It's kind of where our roots developed from. So uh, you might hear some talk about video games later on in the show. But we got a lot of other stuff to talk about first. You, I think. Yeah, yeah. This episode, we're, we're gonna. I'm going to talk about the Legend of Zelda Escape Room, which is not I'd... actually a video game. But no. it's based on a video game. Right. John's got some crazy restaurant story. And also then we're going to do – we will talk some video games at the end of this episode, which is not always a thing that we do. It's true. I think we've already balanced games and life with the game Life Balance because we talked Shoots and Ladders, which is a game. We talked FBI, which is a life. And we talked Russia, which is tipping neither. the balance of – What? Neither. It is neither a game nor is it life. But the axis of evil, I believe, is situ. Is, was Russia not part of that? It was part of it. I don't think it was. It was. It was part of it. Look, I played the board game Churchill as Russia, and I'm pretty sure I'm I was pretty not. Sh- I'm pretty sure Russia was in the axis of of evil. I don't think that's how Russia works. Listen, I'm a historian. That is oh, what. Oh, you know, you know that how I is know what you're a, my college degree is in. Is you know in how I you know how I know you're a historian. Historianism. Do you know how I know you're a historian? How? Because you have a Twitter account. So you are actually a historian and a political scientist. I'm, I'm also a philosopher. And a phil- oh, definitely a philosopher, and but for sure a political scientist. Absolutely. No, I definitely dabble in that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am a uh, gender. St- I'm in gender studies. I don't know if you knew that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes, absolutely. And very, gender relations and labor relations. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Economics. Okay. I'm, a, I'm. I have my master's in economics, which you can tell from my Twitter account. There's also that. Sorry. So uh, the re- uh, so this podcast is well from this point on going to be an escape from uh, America because I, it's a. It, it's just objectively the worst place right now. Just the people and what they say about it things is we don't reality is bad and it should feel bad. So speaking of escape, why don't we talk about your Zelda escape room? Nice transition, Jonathan Martin. Really, though, I want to hear I want to hear about this. And the reason why I want to hear about this is because I read an article on uh, Kotaku, Boo! which is which, which is a website that I frequent for video game news that just talked about it. So I read that and I knew you had done it. So I was just curious as to what it was like. Do you read it in a dumpster? Is that where you read Kotaku? Do you read it in a dumpster? Is in my in really my bathroom good? when I'm taking a poop. I guess mm-hmm. you could call that a dumpster. Yeah. Hey yo, yeah. up top. Do you, do you dump the? Do you wipe your butt with the phone and no. then it loads? No, that's a bad idea. You should never do that. That's what that website is. Because otherwise, you get that makes you get poop on your phone. So anyway, I'm still really interested to hear about this because we've we've talked about True Dungeon on this show before. It's it's basically an escape room that we have done a couple of times at Gen Con that we go to every year. And now escape rooms are this whole thing, right? They just are yeah. popping up everywhere. Yeah, so I guess we're going to go into our first segment. Life stuff. So, yeah, so escape rooms, I've done a number. Have you ever done an escape room other than True Dungeon? True Dungeon is the only thing that I've done that's even remotely like that. I haven't ever gotten a chance to do like a, a, a murder mystery dinner theater. I haven't done anything like that. I've always wanted to, though. Okay, I haven't done a murder mystery dinner theater, though I would love to. Yeah. I have done a couple escape rooms. Uh, there was a a train car escape room that was modeled after a, a Chicago transit train in, in Wigger Park in Chicago. I'm sorry, and in, I did in, a, in Wigger Park? Wi- <laughs> I know it's... Wicker Park. Oh, Jesus. That sounded completely different when you first said it. Okay. I should learn to enunciate before I podcast. Maybe just that word. Mm-hmm. So, 
And I've done I did one at a brewery that was not an escape room, but it the the kind of it's an escape game, I guess. I don't even remember the exact wording for Defenders of the Triforce. Okay, which now was when the, they when when you say a, like an escape room, is it always is it always like you're going to die if you don't get out of the room? Because because true dungeons not so much like you need to escape the place that you're in. Sometimes it's like the story is, oh, you're going into a castle to defeat the lich that is terrorizing the town, and that's what we're going to go do. We're going to go in here and we're going to live-action role-play a thing. But it's not escaping from the, the castle, you know? Yeah, these escape rooms generally... Why did I get darker on camera? That's weird. Huh. I don't know, the, the less I can see of you, the better. The fewer you can see of me, the better. Right. So the typically an escape room is is a set of a series of puzzles that you and a group of people have to solve in order to escape from the room. In some cases it's a physical escape, in other cases it's a puzzle. We do this in True Dungeon all the time. Every year at Gen Con, every year John and I go to Gen Con, we've done True Dungeon several times, and it's a it's a live action dungeon basically where you go, they have props, they have costumes, they have all these things. Occasionally you'll be in a room and there'll be a puzzle, and if you solve the puzzle you get rewards and it's really good and if you fail the puzzle your characters can take damage which they track throughout the game but regardless in true dungeon at the end of the two minutes or four minutes or whatever amount of time is allotted for that room five minutes ten minutes you have to move on to the next room so that's and that's because of the nature of the way they've structured that dungeon in the escape rooms that I've played, they give you one set time, and that's the whole block of time. Every object is in the room at the same time. They say, in the ones I've done, they say, 60 minutes, go. And you're given no instructions, typically. Occasionally, they'll say something about a, a high-level story, like the subway car that I did, there was a little TV in the corner, and a guy came on and said, all right, well, there's a bomb on the train. For whatever reason, you have... 60 minutes to defuse it. I think it's going to go off in 60 minutes starting now. So you got to, you got to solve the clues and then he disappears. And then suddenly you're in a train and there's just, a, there's sometimes there'll be a little folder on the seat and a little lockbox over here with a, with a combination padlock. And you don't know what the combination is and you have to use all these different resources. So it'll involve lots of sheets of paper. Sometimes you can write on them, things like that. That sort of an escape room is that I have done. The one I did in the train car, you do get a physical key at the end, you unlock the door and you exit. The one I did at the brewery was more of you all sit around a table and you're given all these items and you you can solve these different puzzles and eventually you get a code and for that game at the very end of the game you got a number that you would text a code to and if you texted the right code then you won the game because you solved the puzzle that way so the zelda escape and it's not an escape room it is it does say real escape game defenders of the triforce brought to you by scrap entertainment inc it is a. It's more of an escape game. So your your goal is oh. to save Hyrule or whatever by solving all these puzzles. Okay. So a couple of questions before we continue. So you've you've basically described two different types of things. You've described a sit around a table and kind of do whatever kind of puzzles they give you, like logic puzzles. I assume mm-hmm. that kind of thing most of the time. Um, and then you've also got like a more practical. It kind of sounds like a more highly stylized, maybe a more production value type where you're actually in a place that they have a set for kind of like you would be like on a stage or something like yeah. that is that pretty pretty accurate so you got like one of those two um does it feel since you've done both of them now does it feel like the production value for just the just like sitting around and doing stuff on paper is just generally less i feel like you're in these puzzles at all times and the puzzles are really similar. So the train car one was cool because you feel like you're in a train car. They use some train car seats. But typically the puzzles are pretty much the same. There's a lot of – you'll see, let's say, an ad on the sign on the subway car. And there's another sheet of paper somewhere that you get out of a folder or something. And you are trying to figure out – okay, are we supposed to pay attention to the first letter of each word in this ad? Does that spell something? Is there something in common with all these words? How does it tie to different things? Because what you'll have is, 
and this was especially true in the Zelda Escape game, you have several simultaneous puzzles. So let's say you've got a folder and, and there's seven or eight puzzles in them. Or in the train car, over here there's a lockbox with a little sign next to it. Over here there's a little object that uh, looks like a Rubik's Cube or something that you have to mess with. And over here there's there's some writing under the seat and you have to write down the initials. So... Everyone can work on different things. I can start to look, look at a puzzle, try and solve it, figure it out. If I don't get it, I can go help my friend over here. But the whole time you're communicating with the other people on your team, and you may say something like, okay, well, if I flip this card over, there's an H on the back. Why is there an H on the back? Do you need an H for something? Or And then someone doing another puzzle might say, okay, yeah, I'm working on this padlock, and there's an R written on the back, so the R might have to do with something. So... There's a lot of communication required, and sometimes the puzzles, it's just like, oh, I look at it, I do it, I'm good. Other times, you end up walking around the table, and you'll be down to one or two puzzles left to unlock the next thing. Like, let's say uh, all these puzzles each give you a letter of the alphabet, and there's one of those padlocks that you use the letters of the alphabet to unlock. Mm-hmm. And so it's like A-H-G-A-X or something. So you need to get A-H-G-X as the solution to other puzzles to unlock this padlock, which unlocks a box with more clues and more puzzles in it. So okay. it kind of cascades that way. And uh, the, the Zelda game was was similar in that vein. So I'm, not, so I'm getting away from your question. So production value... And, and also how many people... Are in each group. Uh, there were six for Zelda. There were eight for the train car. I think there were six or eight for the brewery. No, that gives me a good idea. It's like it's like six, six to eight. Six to probably yeah, ten. Six to eight. Yep. Okay. Usually. Okay. Um, uh, so for the Zelda Escape Room game, they did what they always do at the start. They set up the story. They say basically Ganon has defeated, taken over Hyrule. You need to find the Master Sword and kill him. Great. Cool. Mm-hmm. Then you. You're get, there's a little folder you start with, and immediately the six of us each went into our own little puzzle. Once you piece them together, you get an item, and you can bring that over to... They had three different stations. They had a station which was the Zora domain. They had a station that was the Goron domain, the Goron Death, Death Mountain. And then they had mm-hmm. the Kokori Forest. And there was also, I think, a little Kakariko Village stand that we did visit. So there's four iconic Zelda locations staffed by somebody... At each one with something costume-wise that kind of made them seem like from that race. And then inside of these little kind of huts were little cardboard cutouts, actually life-size cardboard cutouts of Gorons and Zora and other items. And the lighting was done to make it look blue for Zora's domain. And there's a, a rack of little bags of rupees, I think it was. And in the Goron domain, they had little rocks that you would grab and that had to do with the next puzzle clue and things like that. In the Kokori one, they, they gave you little bean bags with pots on them. And they said you have to break the pots, and they give you a target in the back, and you grab this little bead mega with a pot, and you throw it at the target. And if you do really well at the target, I think you got an extra clue or something. So, so this was a, a combination. I've done I've done full immersion in the subway car, and I've also done sit at a table and do these puzzles. This was sit at a table, figure out what you got to do, and then head over to Zora's domain. Then come back, get together, put your heads together, figure out the next thing. Go over to the Gorons. And and there was also a, a Temple of Time, which had a life-size Master's... I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a Master Sword in it, and it's set up pretty cool, and you get some some things that... You get a couple items you bring with you that let you do some different things that are thinking kind of outside the box. And so that's kind of the physical space, and that's how the, the puzzles are set up. Okay. If that makes sense. It does. So um, it was hard. We did not win... I think out of 40 or 50 tables, there were probably seven or eight teams that won at the most. 40 or 50 tables. There's 40 or 50 groups of people doing it at the same it time. It might have been fewer. It's It's been a couple weeks now because our schedule has been weird, so we haven't recorded in a while. But I want to say there were a lot. And I know that it was about a 10% completion rate, which is actually somewhat standard for the escape games that I've done. Okay, so they're not easy. No, a lot of them aren't, and, and some are easier than others. I went into this, I've been told, I had been told, I believe, that this was on the easier side and it was more about story, but I was lied to because this is the first escape game we haven't won. Interesting. I have actually, we won the Subway one with like five minutes to go, and 
I think we were the the longest time of the hour that that survived. Most people were under a minute when they finished, and uh, and the other one we were really close too. So they're, they're usually. I found the groups I've participated in these with have been a really good balance, and I think they're just challenging enough. So, yeah, it was tough. the The first round of puzzles was relatively simple and straightforward, and everyone kind of finished them around the same time. And then the second set of puzzles got a little harder. And then after the third set, it was kind of okay. Now what do we do? And you had to you had to definitely think outside the box a little bit and pay attention to all the things going on. But that that's part of it is paying attention to all the little details of kind of everything lining up different symbols on different artifacts. There were definitely props. They'd give us a little treasure chest. We would get the combination, unlock it somehow. Uh, they'd give us a little something else. We'd unlock it somehow. So there's lots of props and, and interactive things. There's these rupee stickers that you got. You had to stick onto things, to, uh, onto a bag of coins to eventually later give to the Gorons who eat rupees in canon. So that made sense. So this was a Legend of Zelda-themed escape room. How well did it stick with like the Legend of Zelda theme? Did it feel like it could only be a Legend of Zelda escape room or escape game? Or it did it basically just feel like a skin, like any any other escape game with like a Legend of Zelda skin on yeah, it? Yeah, this, this is the most important, this was the most impressive part of the entire experience, which is why I was so mad at Kotaku's write-up, because it every single puzzle, every single solution, every single interaction you have is perfectly in line with every Zelda game. Like I just said, there's a thing where you're sticking rupees to a bag. That's what you give to the Gorons. Gorons eat rupees. Makes sense. The pots on the beanbags that I talked about that you threw, that makes sense. The way that you would cut, do puzzles, there, there's one, and this is a minor spoiler, so if you're... So, so li- listener, we're going to... We'll just say because we we are we are a spoiler podcast, and whenever we talk about anything, so if you this escape room is in three cities in the United States: New York, Chicago, and like L.A. I think, if Austin, Texas, somewhere. Anyway, it's in three cities in the United States. If you think you will ever do it, then skip ahead maybe five minutes. It's actually, but otherwise, we're, yeah, it's actually done with the United States after next week. It's done in San Francisco. So, Regardless, if you think in the next week you're going to do it, just skip forward five minutes, and then we're going to talk about some puzzle-specific stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest are going to be in Canada and Europe. So there's one where it's where the clue is to cut the grass, and you have a pair of scissors. Now, when you first enter the 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 entire setup area, there's a laminated sheet with instructions and uh, highly in alphabet that say, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. Here's all the stuff that you do. It's, and it's laminated and it looks nice. And you've got this sheet the entire game. And about two-thirds into the game, you get a pair of scissors and it says something about be brave, cut the grass. And at the bottom of this laminated sheet, there is grass. And the solution of the puzzle is you literally cut the laminated sheet of instructions across the grass and you look inside and inside the lamination is a loose rupee. And it's the final rupee you need to attach to the money bag before you go to the Gorons. And when it says be brave or or however it's worded, it suggests use your courage or something like that, which is Link's thing. Link has the Triforce of Courage. And you need to be brave enough to be like, I don't think I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then you do it. I'm going to destroy this prop in the game. Yes, exactly. And and all of them have little, little nods like that. The the final puzzle has to do with covering the world in darkness, and it, it's just really, really well done. But, but thematically, every single little thing you do, and then near the end of the game, you're actually given a hat at the Temple of Time that lets you turn into Young Link versus Adult Link, depending on which cap you're... You have someone, in, like a leader in your party, go to these different locations. Depending on what color hat they're wearing, that's whether you're an adult or kid... Right. And in the flavor text in one of the first puzzles, it says something about either being an adult or being a child in the Kokori forest and asking a question. And the final puzzle was you have to wear the appropriate hat, go to Kokori forest, ask the question, and it has something to do with courage, and they give you the final clue, and then you go to the Temple of Time. So thematically, 1,000%, it is the most Zelda thing you could possibly do. 
Uh, and I, I felt that the puzzles were all really outside the box. And uh, it did some cool things I haven't seen in escape rooms. And the best part of it was when you get done, they explain all the all the solutions. And you want it to be like, oh, of course, or oh, that's really clever. I didn't think of that. You don't want to ever think that's really oblique or obscure and dumb and I didn't get right. it. It's just that you weren't you weren't there enough. But if, if you're totally obsessed with Zelda and you're thinking full Zelda the entire time, that'll help you a little bit. So what was the last puzzle? Because I... The last puzzle is probably the the hardest puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. In it always is a Gen Con. I imagine that's probably the general game design of these things. So, what was the last thing that you had to do that you you failed to do because you failed to, to complete? Yeah, it, it right? was it was the one I told you about the hats. It was we didn't we got this final hat from the Temple of Time, and they said you've got to uncover this thing on this paper, and we just didn't know what to do, and we're looking at everything. And it's funny because we ran into a friend of ours who was leaving the game on the way there, and he said. I'll tell you right now, it starts out really easy and then it gets really hard. Just read everything. And we had read everything, but again, it was it looked like flavor text. It's just this little two-sentence thing on the side of our little Kokori sheet that said, oh, blah, 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 that you know, the children of the forest can tell you if you ask them this question. And so we blew past that, even though we had read it and it was there. So in these sure. escape room games, the, the trickiest thing in any escape room is use everything they give you. Even if it's a little X on the corner of something, that's probably there on purpose. So you have to really utilize every single piece, like the laminated cut the grass thing, every single thing. And and that was cool. So you did that. Everybody got a, a lanyard when they came in with a map of Hyrule. And what they tell you at the Kokori Forest is when the world is covered in darkness, the answer will be the revealed or something. If you take the thing out of the lanyard, this map, and you shade it over with a pencil – then it reveals the tri. I don't remember what it reveals, but I think it's the Triforce of Courage. And then you bring that to the Temple of Time to get the Master Sword. And the way it relates back to the game is you had the Triforce of Courage within you the whole time. The Triforce was always with you, which is sure. a Zelda thing, right? So yeah, it's it's, it's like thing. really brilliant, right? It it totally ties back. And you and if you're thinking that when you go in, you're like, oh my god, of course. Like I always had the Triforce with me, but you would never think that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So so it was cool. I I think a little they should have made it a little easier, maybe because it. Like I said, a lot of people failed, but um, but I, I thought the puzzles were really, really well done. Okay, and how much are we talking? How much did you spend? I th- want to say it was like forty bucks or something. Okay, which is and it was an hour, pretty standard. Yeah, an hour and a half okay. might have been an hour and a half, but that's about standard for an escape game in Chicago. You could probably sure. find cheaper ones outside the city. And the it sounds like. You enjoyed it. I felt I got my value worth. Our friend Russian John, who's been on the podcast before, mm, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he did not feel like he got his money's worth. That is correct. That's shocking. It's slightly surprising. Yeah, it's yeah. not at all surprising. Blake's brother Brennan drove in from Rockford to do it, and he drove back after, and he said he thought that's, he got his money worth. Money's worth. That's pretty cool. So you know. So I hope it comes to Minneapolis in two weeks and we can all go together now that you know sure. the answers. It, it, now that I know all the answers and now that you also know the answers, it's probably not a good idea to go to that one. Maybe we could explore the idea of doing, of doing a different one. But yeah, yeah. Do you know the next one that Real Escape Game is doing? Mm, okay, so they've done a Zelda one. I, I think Mario would be too on the nose. They might not necessarily need to stick with Nintendo. What's another big property? I'm going to say Halo. Do you actually not know this? No. I wasn't sure if I had told you or not. I don't, darn it. I have the postcard in the next room, and I really wish for the video version of this podcast I could I could run and grab it, but alas, I can't. So I'll read it to you. 60 minutes until the end of the world. Six heroes who can save it. Real Escape Game presents Assemble a party of heroes to solve puzzles and save the day in this live entertainment event. Trials of Bahamut in collaboration with Final Fantasy XIV Online. Yes! I, we should probably find a way to do that. I should find a way to do that. That sounds... Yes! That sounds all right. I am so hype. Oh, my God. 
And it is coming to Chicago September 29th and 30th. So uh, we're gonna have to. We're, I'll have to find a way to do three that. weeks that before sounds, my wedding. Uh, you got to do it. That sounds all right. That sounds all right. I'm so excited at the Sheraton Grand in Chicago. The primal dragon Bahamut once wreaked havoc on the realm of Eorzea and brought the world to the brink of destruction. And then there's more flavor text that I won't read. But dude, they get dude. Uh, so they announced it at the end, and he said, "Oh, we're really? coming back with an Good. escape game with fun." And they showed the trailer, and he said, "With Final Fantasy 14 online." And I, I'm like, "Yeah!" I just like started screaming, and everyone turns and looks at me because mm-hmm. these are all Nintendo fanboys. They're like, "What the hell is this guy talking about?" And I'm, I went nuts. I can see that. So we're going to do that, and I'll probably have to buy Russian John's ticket because he won't feel like it's worth it, but uh, he's smart and good at puzzles. So we need him. Understood. Okay. The time the time remaining until his awakening, 60 minutes. Imagine that. Oh, my God. Then we can have a Final Fantasy VII marathon, and you can forget to save the game. Only if I've been drinking Long Island. That's the only way that that kind of thing happens. Well, good. I'm glad you had a good time at the Zelda Escape Room. I also have... My has nothing to do with video games, but I have something that I want to talk about because I had a birthday, so I feel like I should get a turn. A turn to talk? A turn to talk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. That was like what? Like two, two or three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Happy belated birthday. It was a week ago. It was three weeks ago. Happy April 93rd. It's actually six days ago. Yeah. So it was It was not too long ago, but um, so my wife got us tickets to this restaurant called Travail in Minneapolis. It's, I'm sorry. In Actually, it's in this small, like, very unassuming suburb in um, in northern Minneapolis that is, I don't know, population like 5,000 in this suburb. Like, it's small. It's super tiny. Um, and you wouldn't expect this crazy restaurant to be there. But I'll preface this by saying this is the kind of meal... It's the kind of restaurant that we that we went to that we will maybe go to once every five years. So it was a hundred and fifty dollars a piece up front. A piece? You a piece up front. front. You pay you pay before you go. And it doesn't include any drinks of any kind. You can also add listen to this. You can also add seventy-five dollars a piece for a drink ticket. And what that does is it basically gives you, so there's like 20 courses to your meal and, and they're grouped into like seven different groups or eight different groups. And with each grouping, you are given an alcoholic beverage that pairs along with it. And it's not just like a wine or a beer. It's like a, a very specific crafted cocktail that is crafted in such a way to complement um, the food because we had a couple across from us that had bought these drink tickets. We did not. We didn't have them, but the couple across from us did. So anyway, a couple of things about this restaurant. This restaurant's called Travail. It's $150 a piece. You have to like, it's only open Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, and it has increasing prices for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. So Saturday is the most expensive, and then there's a, a much lower price on Thursday night. It's like $80 or something like that a piece. So this restaurant was a Kickstarter. What? It was a it was a kickstarted restaurant. There's a group of about I feel like there was about ten chefs there. I don't know the exact number, but I feel like there was about ten chefs there, and they created a Kickstarter because they wanted to open a restaurant that was kind of like unlike anything else, and they wanted to kind of call their own shots with their restaurant. They got funded and they opened this restaurant. And the idea behind this restaurant is, it is a I, you can't it's not really a dinner like a dinner theater type thing, but it's there's showmanship to the food making process. So there are all of these tables that seat eight people and they just, it, the restaurant itself seats about 40 people and you all kind of go in and you sit in these big groups of eight. Um, and so you, you know, you're, it's kind of like cafeteria style. You don't know the people that you're going to be sitting next to. You just kind of meet them as you go. Um, and then throughout the course of the evening, the cooks prepare food in front of you as well as, like, there's, like, pre-cooked, you know, like, they, they had steak-type food, like a steak-type thing at one of the courses. But obviously, they can't cook that in front of you from raw. So it's been, like, sous 
sous vide beforehand, and then they come and they finish it up, they sear it in front of you, they make a sauce for it, that kind of thing. Anyway, um, so, but it only seats like 40 people in the restaurant, and they do two services a night, and you go in there for about two and a half hours. So from start to finish, it's about two and a half hours. There is, there's a bar in the middle of this restaurant uh, that serves, it's like out, like off the wall drinks that I, I haven't heard of half of the ingredients, maybe three quarters of the ingredients and some of the drinks, Um, but they were delicious. The ones that we had were incredible. They were super good. Um, And they say like, hey, get there about 45 minutes before your dinner because you're going to want to like try the drinks and check out the bar and that kind of thing. So that's pretty cool. So you've got your restaurant, you've got your bar. And then probably what I think is the coolest part of the whole restaurant, and it's we didn't even do this, but there's a single chef restaurant on the other side of the restaurant. So it's basically, you can think of the restaurant divided into three different areas. And it's all, it's all like open, so there's no segregation anywhere. It's just on the other side is this single chef restaurant. And there's this really big rectangular table. It seats probably about 16 people. And in the middle is like some cooking area stuff. And then there's also a cooking area off to the side as well. And there were two two sous chefs there that were cooking with this main chef guy. And what they do is they rotate a chef out from the, the main cooking area where they service all of the people. They have one chef go in there for a couple of weeks at a time and basically run their own restaurant on that side of the building. They get to make the menu they get to tr- they get to buy all of the ingredients they get to try to make like a profitable restaurant by themselves they hire their own help and they do that for a couple of weeks and then they go back to the other side of the kitchen and they bring another chef over there so these chefs all get the chance to like run their own restaurant and make their own menus and it's it's kind of like they kind of like pitch it as this experimental side like it's the side where they you might get some like really crazy stuff like apparently they had um fried cockroaches oh yeah, that was like one of the the um, the courses that they had. So again, we did not do that side, but just that idea to me is really really cool. And it is again, it is less expensive to go over to that side, but the experience is a is a much similar experience. Anyway, we sat there for about a half an hour, got a couple of drinks each, um, and then we went over and we got seated at the table and and kind of started and. Um, the courses come very fast. They are really, they're super unique. So like, you know, one of the courses we had this like cauliflower soup thing with these three bites of these random vegetable type uh, stuff along with them. And then the next course was a hands-free course. And they brought this wooden plank off from like the ceiling that had these hooks attached to it with meat that was just dangling from these hooks and you had to you had to tear the meat off the hook with your teeth and eat it without using your hands so that was like the, that was like a course that was one of the things that you did um they had some more traditional courses where they gave you like a, a, and you know most of the courses were like a single bite or two but it would be like a little piece of fish with like sauce on it that kind of thing there was this incredible small salad um with i want to say it was it was fish on it or it could have been pig they had cooked a full pig that they brought around to the table at the start of the meal and then they used the pig in like as the protein for a ton of different foods in the pork course that they had so there were like four different different foods in the pork course that we ate and one of them was like a salad with that pig that they had just cooked and taken out um, so that was really cool. They had us go to the vegetable garden, and what it was was we all stood up and we walked over to this. It it was basically just a cardboard box with a hole in it, and their guy stands behind it, and he's making food back there. And you put your hand into it, and he puts a bunch of stuff on your hand, and it turned out that it was like this vegetable dish, and you you t- you take your hand out and then you just eat it off your hand you basically just lick it off your hand and that's like and like a group of people do this so you all stick your hand in the same box well you do it one at a time they bring you in like single file and you do it one at a time they make you wash your hands first no it uh i mean it's your hand he puts it on your hand it's not like 
I, you know where your hand has been. If you don't trust your hand, I don't know. You can go wash your hand beforehand, I guess. Wait, but everyone else puts their hand in the sandbox. But it's in the middle of the air. They put their hand in a hole, and it's just floating in the air. You just can't see what he's putting on your hand. He puts it on, like, the, the back of your hand. You're not touching anything. And then you eat it off of your own hand, not somebody else's hand. You eat the box off of your own hand. You eat, your, you eat the whole box off your own hand. I'm a, anyway. I'm confused about this. He puts okay. a box okay. on the back of your hand. and then No you, box. You put your hand in a box. Okay. He puts food on your hand, and then you eat it. Oh, he's in the box. Right. Is that, right. Is that what you're actually saying? Yes, that's actually what I'm oh saying. Oh my standing, god! All right, he's standing like behind the okay. box. So no, no. So the whole idea is that you can't see what you eat, like you can't see what he's what he's doing and putting on your hand. Got it. And then you just take it off and and you eat it. Okay. And you're supposed to like take it out of the box, and he puts it on kind of precariously so that it has the potential to fall off. So he's like, as soon as you take it out, you need to eat it off your hand. And of course, there are people that did it wrong. So Casey and I both ate it immediately. But the, but we went back and sat down, and we see people like walking around the restaurant back to their seat with this pile of food that's just like dangling off of their hand, which was pretty funny because <laughs> they did it because they did it wrong. Anyway, so you you go through and you sit through all of these courses, and they they pitch the restaurant so that. Like, they don't expect you to like every single thing that you eat. And that's a really important part of this restaurant because it's the the restaurant is way not for everybody. Like, I'm a super adventurous person when it comes to food. So for me, it was perfect because even if I didn't like something, I was like super excited to try it. But there are people that like are not willing to eat food that they do not think they're going to like. And, um, I respect that if you're that kind of person, but like you should not go to this restaurant because you're going to have some crazy stuff. Like I guarantee you I could find probably f- one out of two people that wouldn't eat a fried cockroach. Yeah. I would eat that. I would eat that. Really? But I guarantee, uh, yes, absolutely. I told you I'm very adventurous when it comes to food, but I guarantee you that there's a lot of people that wouldn't. So um, it's just like the restaurant is definitely not for everybody. But there's so much good food. And again, there's I tried everything. I ate everything. But there were only there were about two things that I, I genuinely like didn't like. I thought they tasted bad. Um, but there was so much other weird, kooky, really good stuff in there. It was a, a thousand percent worth it for me. It was awesome. Um, and it was some of the best desserts that I've ever had in my life. So the last thing that we did was we went up to um and I don't know I don't know why they had us walk up and stand in like a line for this, but they had us walk up and like get these bowls of, it was basically a, it was basically like a tart cake. And then they put homemade ice cream on it. Um, and then we went back to our seats. And when we got back to our seat, there were like four other desserts at our seats waiting for us. And it was, it was like, I could go through them all. It doesn't matter. It's not that important, but they were legit for me, the best desserts that I've ever had. And they were small, they were tiny, but they were incredible amazing incredible so um the other cool thing is that the chefs the chefs don't specialize in one particular thing in the kitchen every few weeks they rotate to different stations so like one guy was like yeah you know i just moved to desserts again so like sorry if i'm not that great at uh, at scooping ice cream it's like my first day doing it again after rotating back to desserts so in that way it gives the chefs all different experience of cooking like all of the different stuff there i'm so confused why 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 was it kickstarted? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know I don't know like the details of the story of the restaurant. I just know that it was a kickstarted restaurant. And so they've got a list of all of their backers that are written on this like chalkboard wall as you walk in um to the restaurant. Yeah, the the vast majority of restaurants fail. Maybe not vast, but I believe the the majority of of new restaurants fail. So it's interesting to see one open by a, a Kickstarter, which I, I guess would then probably profit because there's enough interest as it is. I mean, I I would definitely we when we first walked in, we we're like, I don't know if we'll ever like do this again. Before we had the had the experience of going there, after doing it, I would a hundred percent do it again. Their menu changes every season, so that you you're never going to get the same menu if you go again no, a quarter but, later because all their ingredients are fresh. But you didn't so they. they 
Well, you, but you didn't order off the menu, right? They There is no menu. Right. You just pay up front and then they provide a menu. But their whole menu changes based on what they can what they can buy mm-hmm. that's fresh. So like what they had the spring vegetables that they had now were are going to be a lot different than what they're going to be able to have in the summer or the fall. Like I imagine the fall will probably have a lot of squash and a lot of um you know uh, root vegetables because that's what generally you can harvest in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean I would a thousand percent do it again. It was really really awesome. That makes sense. So it's basically you're just paying a really good amount of money for a surprise menu and they work the chefs Cooked. in a way that lets them explore other things and all get better and really good. Cuz exactly. Part- and they can cook with and they can cook like what they want because they make they make the menu as a group. Yeah. So they have kind of a collective ability to to do what they want with the menu. Okay. Yeah, because part of me thinks, okay, Kickstarter, but it sounds like it benefits the chefs more because they get to do whatever they want and they get experience in multiple stations. But I don't really know how chefs and kitchens work, so I don't know. So in a real, in like a in like a kitchen like this, you know, with a so, okay, let's 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 tie it back to video games for a second. Oh, okay. Thank God. Um. So. Um. So. Kojima is the is the director of Metal Gear Solid, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason why those games are are good, one could argue, is that Kojima is basically given free reign over the direction of those games. Kojima, yes, yes, he's given. So like he is just given a lump. He's given like the direction. Right? You can do whatever you want with this. Just go, right? And like as an as an artist, that freedom affords him the ability to kind of create these crazy monstrosities that turn out amazing most people would would agree turn out pretty amazing um but it's because he has that kind of creative freedom i think the same thing kind of goes for chefs in this caliber of restaurant where if they are given a similar level of creative freedom they then create can create some things they're not hamstrung by any restraints of any kind Mm -hmm. and then create these like crazy things that you wouldn't expect them to go together you wouldn't think of this as like a thing that that they can make or should make or anyone would make and then they kind of bring it together and it's incredible okay and it just tastes awesome so i think it just they it affords them a an, an amount of creative freedom that i don't think they could have gotten literally anywhere else and i think that is why they kickstarted the restaurant to have total control over that gotcha Anyway, it is they they don't tell you what's going to be on the menu, but then at the very end they give you a menu of what you ate. Got it. So that's kind of cool. All right, now I understand. And Casey took pictures of everything, so like we have because everything is presented beautifully as well. I mean, it just it, it should be if you're paying that much money, it probably should be one of like the most interesting and probably best dining experiences that you've had, and it legitimately was. And if I mean, I'm sitting here telling you that I would be willing to pay that money again to go again. So it was, it was awesome. I'd heard about it a couple of months ago. I had some friends that went, when it was up for Kickstarter, it, it wasn't like officially open. It was open to Kickstarter uh, peeps. And then they did like a soft open and it was less expensive. So I had a couple of friends that went when it very first was like in its infancy and they, they loved it and just raved about it and told, told us all about it. And then we looked at it after it had like opened for real. And it was like, Oh my God, these are like crazy expensive. We will never go to this place. But we both agreed. Casey and I both agreed that it looked awesome. Well, this was like a birthday is a perfect opportunity to do something like this. So that was why that is what she got me for my birthday. Right. So is this a surprise for you? Yeah. I had no idea we were going to go there. I mean, I knew she told me like three days before. Wow. It was sweet. Good. I'm glad you weren't sick for it either. No, I wasn't. Because you get sick. Was a I lot. supposed to be? You get sick all the time. I, I'm coughing right now. What? I don't even know where it came from. Yeah. it's like it's like 80 degrees outside. Like, why am I coughing? I don't it's know. It's 80 degrees outside. So yeah, it's like 70. It's 70 degrees I sh- outside. I should I should be Ekans. But you're coughing. Right. It's 50 at best in Chicago. It was very warm today. I don't know. Minnesota's weird. Well, so is Chicago. So is May. So is the Earth. So is climate change. So is China. I'm going to investigate all these things as new director of the FBI for the next 
uh, week. However long this week. episode lasts. Yeah, you're going to be fired probably at the end of this episode. Let's hope. Wow. There's a good well, chance. That's, congratulations on a meal well eaten. That, Gosh, it was it was so good. That sounds good. I, I got to ask you a food-related question just while we're on the topic. Did you attend your tastings with your now wife? I did. I did. I did. Uh, that was actually one of the things I was most excited about because, like, I want to know what kind of food we're going to eat, you know? Yeah. Our t- I, that's what I did today. You did tastings. We did the tastings were today. Did you pick your menu? We picked the menu. It's okay. going to be really, really surprisingly good, actually. I, I was worried about the food quality because you're dealing with a lot of people and we're, we're not paying for the premium package or whatever. But My thing is that wedding food, generally, if it's good, and, and this is, like, people don't remember it. But if it's bad, people remember it. Oh, my God. My mom literally said that. So, like, it just, that's it. that's the thing is, like, it just needs to be... It just needs to be like, well, we, she called me about 15 minutes before this episode started and just wanted me to reiterate that to, to, reiterate that to you. So like, that's why, that's why I'm just echoing it again. Um, no, but really though, like people aren't, people, your food could be awesome and it probably will be. And a month, a month later, nobody's going to remember it. That's just kind of the way that weddings are. But if it's bad, I remember bad wedding yeah. food. I can, so, I can remember the food at exactly one wedding I've been to. It wasn't actually because it was bad. It was because it was buffet style, and it was the first wedding I had been to that was buffet style. That's the only reason I remember it. Honestly, the only food that I remember because it was good was at our friend Peter's wedding in California. And that food there was but mostly because it was like it was crazy decadent food I was not expecting to have at a wedding. Mm. So See, and I'm sure it was really good, but I don't remember it. And yeah. you're right. It's just it's just the one thing and I went into it with that that whole that whole mindset. So yeah, I mean but to you, but to you, it is your wedding. It is important, and that is important. Like, it, like that, that is that is important. Is that it is important to you? So, regardless, I, I would never criticize anybody for splurging on the food at their wedding because it makes them feel good. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, the people that yeah, it's everyone's own whatever their own thing. But I, I just did you get full? Oh my god, yes, so full. The pro- the what was the issue was the wine. Did I really need to sample four glasses of wine? And by sample, I mean pretty much drink at noon on a Tuesday. So basically, they were they were like, "Sir, we just want you to take a sip out of it." And and by when, by the time they finished the sentence, you were putting the glass down empty. Well, they, is what, they didn't. Is what happened. They didn't mind that I finished my four glasses. It's when I started finishing Casey's glasses and then mm-hmm. leaned over and started finishing my parents' wine. That, that was when it probably had about sixteen glasses of wine. It's a lot of wine. In about two hours. Is it, they said it was equivalent to three bottles when I was at the ER, but I that's what they did. They, did they so did they like put the wine with it to pair specifically, or were they just like were they just like here's some wine to have with your no they, with your food? They were like here's some white, here's some red, here's some chicken, here's some steak, here's some whatever, here's some whatever, and you know you you kind of know what to what to pair. But it was super fun, and and I always thought it was weird because everyone. Everyone I said, oh, yeah, we're doing the tasting next week or whatever, coworkers, whoever, everyone has always said that, oh, my gosh, the tasting is the fun part. It's like the most fun part of planning your entire wedding. And I would say it it was close, so I was going to get your thoughts on, on that. It was, we had fun. Ours was a little different in that we had it at that um, – I mean, I'm sure you don't really remember – the place, but we basically had it at like a, a banquet hall with about five different rooms in it. I remember the place really well because I did a lot of things in that you place. Got kicked because you got kicked out of it. <laughs> because I got so, kicked out late in the wedding. To be fair, I love how we're going to keep teasing this story about me being kicked out of your wedding. You until literally, August. Got, you literally got kicked out of a wedding. Yeah, no, we can talk about it at some point. Now is not the time. God, that's a good story though. Your wedding's the important wedding, but if you remember, it was like a big banquet hall, and the way that they did our tasting was you had to buy the food through the banquet hall. It wasn't like you brought in your own caterer or anything, and so they did tastings as like this big group tasting, and so everybody that was going to have a wedding coming up would would go, and they would have like samples of every single one of the 50 things you could get. Oh, wow. That's cool. It was cool, but like we literally couldn't get through it all. 
because there was so there was so much food. We by the end we were like I can't eat anymore. There's still like 25 things we haven't tried. I have no idea if what I didn't try would have been the stuff that I was going to order. So we just ordered some of the stuff that we had tried. But that mm-hmm. was it was a totally different experience than like sitting down and I assume that they probably brought you like a small plate of three or four different things. Is that pretty much what they did? There were several options for main course and side dish and starch or whatever. We would mm-hmm. pick, we picked two or three from each list and told them ahead of time and they'd sure. bring it out. Yeah. So we had an idea. So kind of similar. It was fun though. It like it, I mean, getting married was the most fun. I'll be honest. Casey did almost all of the planning for our wedding. So for me, it was fun because it was something I got to participate in and it was eating. So that was pretty cool. Eating's good. It was fine. The, tr- the the picking up the tuxes, I actually had a lot of fun with. I was really excited to do that. I have not even started looking at a tux mm-hmm. or grooms. The wedding dress, apparently, and the bridesmaid dresses are done. I, okay. This has turned into wedding update. Sorry, sorry, listener. It's just what happens when weddings yeah. are being no, When planned. weddings are happening. That's it. So you have not thought about tuxes. I've not even thought about tuxes. I really got to get my tux figured out. And I got to figure out what the what the party's wearing and all that stuff. So that's going to be... Do you ha- you know, I mean, do you have do you have your party? Like, do you know everything? What do you mean? Like, do you have your parties picked out? I mean, obviously she does because she's, she's got... She's got her whole party picked out. Uh, I have asked my brothers and my cousin Michael, and I was actually going to ask you if you want to stay at my wedding. Like, now? Yeah. I guess... I could ask you later, but I feel the surprise would have been probably. That is a legitimate surprise. Wait, really? Yes. Really? Yes. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, because you have a lot of family, and I didn't know how. Like, I didn't know how big your wedding was going to be. Oh I'm yeah, touched. it's not going to be and, that big. You're part of an elite. Yes. You're part of an elite group. I would love to. That would be an honor. Yes. Oh, cool. I'm I'm surprised would, you're surprised actually. No, I'm I I figured I honestly thought that you guys were going to have like a small wedding party and it would have been like Casey and two people and you and your brothers is what I was thinking. Oh, I actually thought it was originally going to be small but she wanted a larger party. It so. kind of does that sometimes. Uh yeah. yeah, I would love to. That is awesome. Thank you. That is cool. Legitimately. No, I am thank you. Good. That's awesome. You're welcome. Hope you don't mind that I asked you on the podcast live. No, I'm legitimately surprised. And yes, I will gladly 100% do that. That's awesome. Yes. One down. You're actually the first non-family member I've asked. Uh, so, Well, I, I mean, if you're making it surprises to people, I'm, I guess I won't ask you anymore about your wedding party. <laughs> mm, yeah, you probably guess the other couple people I'll be talking to. But uh, yeah, you're on, you're on the list. You're on the list. It, it, it is... Annoying because we have our group of like ten friends who we've all known since forever. So yeah. I, it was a it was a tough thing. Definitely would like to have everyone, and I've been in at least two people, actually three, kind of involved or in three people's weddings. So, yeah. uh, it's just not no logistically. It's not, and sometimes there are. I imagine sometimes there are hard feelings and. People get over it, and it's okay. I don't think there'll be any hard. Like I don't, I don't think there'll be any hard feelings. There, sh- I mean, there probably won't be, but I, I don't think any. I don't think I've ever heard anybody be like, "I wasn't in John Martin's wedding. I'm really pissed at him about it." <laughs> That's people participated in my wedding, like that weren't in the wedding. It was fine. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was in your wedding and got kicked out. So exactly. So apparently, that's not all it's cracked up to be. That's yeah. It's not all it's cracked well, up to be. I guess. That, I, I honestly think that that's probably a good way to uh, end the show. Cause that oh, we was, don't want to. We're not going to do balancing. Yeah, I, yeah. We're kind of running late. Let's shelf it. We're running late, and um, it gives us something to talk about next time. And no, I'm still. I'm kind of like. Uh, I'm flustered now. So, <laughs> oh wow, because I wasn't expecting that at all. This this is so. uh, for our listeners the first moment of actual emotion either of us uh, have uh, or sincerity either of us have possibly shown in a hundred. 50 episodes of us doing podcasts that could be uh that could actually be very true so i will i will say that we are members of an uh, of an elite podcasting collective known as the gunna geek network oh it's a podcasting collective now uh, isn't that a good way to describe it what else wait, wait podcasting network i mean that's just that's kind of generic right 
a collective yeah. makes it sound like a Borg collective, like we're all on the same page. We're, I, I don't know, like we think as one. Yeah, I could see that. I think that that's fair. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple of different, um, a couple of different podcasts on there, ranging from very specific to very broad, uh, nerdy type, nerdy type uh, podcasts. Um, just give you an example of of kind of one of the things that we've got going on here. A couple of things we've got going on here. So all things good and nerdy. <laughs> this is like. This is perfect. Sorry, I don't know. You setting up the read is, just, I don't know what's happening in your brain right now, but it's just, uh, you, I'm sure maybe you are flustered. I don't I, know. No, I'm, I wasn't lying. You lead, was... you lead into this far more articulately. You've been no, talking am, about a boring I'm like legitim- legitimately, <laughs> legitimately flustered. So, okay. yeah. I mean, maybe it's not the best lead-in, okay? But it's, it's still a lead-in. Anyway, we've got to show all things good and nerdy. Each week, the crew from All Things Good and Nerdy run down the latest in geeky, uh, geeky and nerdy news, tossing the occasional game, and it all adds up to one wacky weekend morning show with your hosts Chris, Naki, Anthony, and Willie. Uh, and then another another one of our more recent uh, more recent podcasts. Although actually, Better Podcasting has been around for a while now, hasn't it? They've done pretty they've done weekly episodes pretty consistently now. Um, Who? Anyway, Better Podcast the. Better podcasting. Oh god, better podcasting's so good. It's so good. They're they're so good at podcasting. I'm not I'm not kidding. They're they're no, it's ridiculous. I don't think you're being sarcastic. I never even implied that you were. Anyway, mm-hmm. on better on better podcasting, um Stargate Pioneer and Stephen John Drew share podcasting tips, tricks, and other podcast related information with the goal of helping hobbyist podcasters, that's like you and me. Make their show the best it can be, although you're gonna be professional soon. If you're making a podcast, there's a ton of advice to be had in better podcasting. Is the FBI going to have their own podcast? They are thinking about it. It might be a video podcast. We're still working that out with Russia. Don't ask me why that's relevant. Instead, I'll thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance U.S. podcast. This is the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast, sponsored by the FBI. We're not really. Please don't arrest us. Please like, share, and subscribe if you liked this episode and leave us a review if you really want to make our day itunes reviews and all that really help us in algorithms or something you can find us on the gunna geek network at gunnageek.com like john was talking about or on wgnradio.com where we're currently syndicated is at least as long as they exist because now that sinclair broadcasting bought them i don't know what the hell is going to happen mm-hmm. uh <laughs> learn more about game life balance including contact information uh, and links to our sister show on Australia with our Australian friends, Robin AC at GameLifeBalance.us. And I hope they get in some huge fight over the fact that I said Rob's name first. Because mm. I think, is it usually AC and Rob, or how does mm, that work? I, no, I think Rob is the face. Is he? I think he's the face. I think, yeah. That's no, good. I, th- I think, but I think you can still start a fight between them. Uh, that's probably true. Now, Rob is on a Twitter hiatus, but AC is still on, on Twitter. And he Rob and I... has disappeared. Yeah, Rob has disappeared off of Twitter. Yeah, I don't he's... blame him. Twitter is awful. Yes, he's made a very good decision. Very, very good. De- Jesus. Before this show tonight, I went on Twitter for like a minute. <laughs> to find and... out about your new position. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The people... And it's... The people I follow and the people that get retweeted are usually... It'll be funny or interesting or whatever. But then you just go into anyone's replies. Oh, my God. Any tweet with more than... You shouldn't look at replies. I I think Twitter replies are the new YouTube comments. Oh, they're... I I think YouTube comments have been disabled in most videos. And, (laughs) And now you're right. They have all... Because they can no longer reply to Twitter videos, they are replying to uh porn videos on Pornhub probably and then Twitter replies. Those are the two places where you find the denizens of the internet now. You know you know Pornhub retweeted me last week? I mean, you've made it. You're I, here. Yeah, right? Investigate that. Get it? FBI. But like <laughs> someone re- Edward Snowden tweeted something about Comey and the f- the top five replies are screenshots of tweets he sent last year joking about something political <laughs> admonishing him for being a hypocrite or something and I'm I'm just like 
And keep in mind that Twitter doesn't like filter by anything. It's just the first person to post (laughs) a reply is the first post you see. So they like had those pictures probably within seconds of him posting a tweet. Yeah. Oh, God. Hey, this is your job. This is your job. I I don't, I mean, this isn't my job. Not anymore? I'm the FBI director now. (laughs) I am the one who tweets. (laughs) 